I am so grateful. Thank you for being here today and uh, being part of Sugar Hill Church, part of our family today. It means so much that you guys would carve out a little time and uh, join us. Today we're in week two, as Bobby mentioned, this series entitled Confessions of a Recovering Christian, which is kind of what I feel like I am. And uh, this week the topic is the church and what, what have I learned about the church, and honestly, I'm not sure that I'm I'm far from I'm way away from learning all that there is to learn about the church, and I'm still learning a great deal about how to help be a part of the leadership of the church. But it, one thing I have learned that when you step into leadership in the kingdom of God, you're going to learn in a hurry, and you're going to learn by fire, and you're going to learn some hard lessons along the way. But this series really is, it's not designed to be controversial. It's designed to be honest and specific about what the Lord has birthed in your pastor's heart about these topics. Uh, last week being, what, what is it we know about God himself and what did God himself say about himself? This week, what does the Lord have to say about his church? Next week, what about the family and how it's created and how he designed it to function and then Weeks four and five could get a little bumpy. Uh, the role of Jesus and his church in modern culture. And then finally, the, the role of the church in modern politics. I mean, there's no way we get in trouble with those, right? Yeah, I know. I mean, this is just a recipe for a disaster. Uh, but today, I want to get a few things off my chest. The first one being is, oftentimes, I got the leadership and the role of the church wrong. Uh, I, I came into full-time vocational ministry. I was called... I believe when I was 15 years old, but honestly, I just, it's not what I wanted to do. And so I ran away from the Lord and I ran away from that calling and uh, promised the Lord I'd never pastor a church. Be careful what you promise the Lord. And, uh, but then later in my life, I knew the Lord was calling me out of the business world. I was building shopping centers and office parks and putting storm drain and sewer pipe in the ground. And honestly, it just was like, Lord, I'm happy. I just, Man, I, I want to write checks to the church and be faithful. I'll, I'll be happy to serve in kids' ministry, but no thanks. And yet, I knew this is what the Lord was doing. And inevitably, you know, when you surrender to the Lord, you find that it's not always easy, but you also find how incredibly grateful you can be by experiencing what it's like to walk in obedience to the Lord. And so, could I just stop for a minute before we get into this uh, talk today about the church and say to you, how incredibly grateful I am that you allow me to be the pastor of this church. Uh, you, you, could, you could have called any one of thousands of people that could have done a far greater job, but I just want you to know how grateful I am that you allow me to be here. And I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed that you let me do this, and I thank you for that. But no, no, don't do it, really. Sometimes I want y'all to clap, but not on that one. All right, it's just, uh, I feel incredibly unworthy to speak on this topic because I got it wrong so many times. Oftentimes, I saw as I was growing up in ministry and I was uh, kind of heavily involved in uh, the church growth movement and mega churches, and I was flying around the country on a speaker's tour talking about how to grow the church and how to get more people in the building, and I saw that 
the church oftentimes as a business and a balance sheet, and I saw where the church at times, but it was better when it grew numerically, financially, and in popularity, and maybe it was for a place where like-minded people would worship in like-minded ways, and when people got out of shape with those like-mindedness, then we just go somewhere else and start the whole thing again. What a horrible way to see the bride of the Lord Jesus. And that's not my desire today. If anything, I, I sure don't want to pastor that church, and I don't want to be a part of that church. But in a nutshell, I miss the simplicity of how Jesus desired his church to function and how he called us to be a part of some very specific tasks and how he invites us to be a specific way. I have at home AT&T U-verse. So if you work for AT&T, please take no offense on this one. But that's the worst television platform on the planet. When I pull my remote out, there are 47 buttons on that remote. I have no idea what at least 38 of them do. When my mother-in-law comes, it is ugly. We just turn the television on and beg her, don't touch it. We hide it from her. Just leave it on WSB and just stay there. But you know, when I pull out my Apple TV remote, it has five buttons on it and it just works. Fascinating, isn't it? Sometimes I think that we took the church and we turned it into this bloated, growth-oriented function like a remote. So I thought we might try to look at the three things that we humans like to ask about the church all the time. Cash, credit, and control. Who's going to pay for it? Who gets the credit for it? And who controls it? Well, let's start with that and just go forward. How about that? Who's going to pay for everything? Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Simple enough. The Lord owns everything. The Lord will pay for whatever he wants the church to do. He chooses to allow people like me and you to be a part of that blessing. But honestly, if this pastor or any other pastor feels like they've got to sell you on something to give to something... Odds are good it's not of the Lord because you don't have to sell something that's the Lord's will. Now, it may be a bumpy road, and may, maybe not everybody will agree with it, but honestly, when you, when you chase after the Lord and you want to do simply what the Lord has in store for both yourself, the church at large, the local church, inevitably, the Lord's going to do what the Lord wants to do. And honestly, folks, as badly as the church wants you to participate and giving to the Lord. The Lord is not confined by your ability to give or not give. The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he'll pay for what he wants. He just gives us the privilege of being a part of it. So who's going to do everything, and who should you get credit for it? Well, how, how do you have a, a healthy, growing, vibrant church? I mean, according to some advertisements I get and in, in, in across, come across my desk that you can, you can go to a conference and learn, you could follow whatever some other church does. You, uh, you, you could subscribe to the, to the right magazine. You could go to the right seminary. You could hire the coolest people. You could definitely wear skinny jeans. You, you could wear like rock star t-shirts, have laser lights, fog the room, get the right cool factor. And surely when you do all of that, you'll pick the right Bible study and the right style of Bible and you'll be off to the races because church growth in America is a big business. But listen to me, church growth, when it comes to simply measuring by numbers of people is not God business, it's just big business. Now, we're a church that grows. 
But honestly, I think a lot of our growth comes by accident. Not, not because we've decided, hey, we need to be bigger because bigger is better and bigger is cooler and bigger is stronger and bigger is more godly. I mean, the, the truth is, Paul knew that fundamentally a growing church is made up of growing followers of Jesus. A growing church is made up of growing Christians. And so he took the time to pray for and instruct the Christians he knew. And by God's grace, the church grew. In 1 Thessalonians, starting in, in verse 12 of chapter 3, the scriptures say, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen your heart so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Well, it's, it's, it's relatively cool and it's relatively certain that we know that this is who's going to pay for it and who's going to get the credit for it. Now let's tackle, well, who's going to be in charge? Who's, who's in control? Psalm 118, verse 22 says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, is the cornerstone. He is in control, and he deserves all the credit. It is he who grows the church. I don't grow the church. Zach doesn't grow the church. The band doesn't grow the church. The sign doesn't grow the church. The denomination doesn't grow the church. The name of the church doesn't grow the church. The Lord grows the church. As the church grows, it is as the Lord sees fit. And in according to the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Could we get any more clear about who's going to pay for it, who gets the credit, and who's in charge? The Lord Jesus is the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. The deacons aren't the head of the church. You're not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. But then we probably ought to figure out who is the church. But before we do, let's make sure that we get one more shot at who's in charge. Ephesians 5.23, Paul writes, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We get that part. Now, but what are we to be doing, Chuck? What is our role, and who are we to be? Which are good questions. Matter of fact, I think those are better questions than who's going to pay for it, who's in charge of it, and who gets control of it. Let's tackle the last one first, and who are we? We are the church. Not the building, not the name, not the denomination, not the small group. We, me, you, individuals, we are the church that Jesus and habits. He chose us as the tabernacle that he would dwell in through his Holy Spirit. This building, church name, host of ministries are all the outcomes of the ministry that that body of Christ leads. Now stick with me on this. In essence, the church leads the church as the Spirit of God leads the people, the real church. All right, let me say it again. The church leads the church as the Spirit of God leads the people, the real church. Now, when I wrote that, I thought, wow, that is really cool, Chuck. That's a tweetable moment. And now that I've said it twice, I've thought, why didn't I just say, the Lord is in charge of the real church, me and you? 
He's the head over you. He's the head over me. He's the head over us. He's the head over this church, and he's the head over the church. And there's no question here. John 1, 12 says, but all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. We are the church. He chose me and you to be children of God. In Colossians 2, this is what the text says. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So that would mean that he's head over the pastor, head over the priest, head over the pope. He's head over everything. How do I know that? He's in charge. He's been here from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word is God. Now watch this. God has been here from the beginning. He structured his church in the new covenant in such a way that you and I are to be seen as the bride and Jesus as the groom. If you're ever looking for instruction on marriage, even though Gary Smalley is awesome, and there are 48 books you could buy and read about marriage, the greatest position to look at if you're a husband is how does Jesus serve his bride, the church? Faithfully, lovingly, graciously, in a servant-oriented matter. How does the church, the bride, treat Jesus? Well, listen, unfaithfully. We're not fit. We're not worthy. And yet Jesus, the, the groom, says, come in, though. I love you. I know you've messed up. Come in. I know you've been unfaithful. Come back. I know you're not worthy, but I love you with all my heart. Jesus is saying, this is how it's supposed to work. The church is his bride. And then you say, but who is the church? Let's be clear again. We are the church. You say, but Chuck, no, no. The church is what I go do on Sunday at 11. No, the church is who you are, and you will know what kind of church you are or are not based on whether the Spirit of God is alive and well within you. If you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus and have invited him into your life, he's given you the Spirit of God to indwell your, your, your life and take over and you have then been grafted into his family, hence a part of his church. You just happen to be a part today of this local body. But listen, you say, well, Chuck, according to that, there are going to be in people in heaven that I don't want to be my neighbor. <laughs> then let me start over again. Are you sure that the Spirit of God lives in you? You say, yeah, but I just want to worship with people like me. But remember, you don't get to pick that. You're not the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. I don't get to pick that. The choices we make are, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. I want to grow to become more like you. We are the church. We are where God chose to place his spirit in us. And all of our faults, all of our foibles, and all of our failures, he still chose you and me as his church. But Chuck, okay, but tell me about the role of the church. What is it we're to do? Well, first, let's define it. 
A biblical church involves at least two people gathering together in the name of Jesus. Matthew 18, 20. There it is. You say, but Chuck, I, you, you mean that you could be a church if it's two or more people who have gathered in the name of Jesus? Amen. Yes. And you say, but Chuck, they don't have any kid programs. <laughs> they don't do youth camp, and they don't even offer counseling services. How about that? A biblical church celebrates the Lord's Supper together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 lays that out. The local church is to remember the Lord's broken body and his shed blood. Why is the church to remember that? Because he did that for his church, for you. A biblical church is led by qualified leaders in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Paul gives these instructions to Titus. You say, well, now, Chuck, I want you to stop on this one because right up here, uh, Chuck, you're the pastor at Sugar Hill Church, and there are a lot of those. You're not that. And you'd be so right. You'd be dead on it. Matter of fact, let me just take a few of them and, and make sure that you know that I know you're right. This is what it says. Above reproach, eh. Husband of one wife, got it. His children are believers, got it. Not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Eh. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. I lost on both those. A drunkard, I got. Violent, eh, maybe. Greedy for gain, usually. But hospitable, rarely. A lover of good, often. Self-controlled, never. Upright. Holy, disciplined, you've got to be kidding. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught. I believe that. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And I'd like to believe I am, but honestly, folks, I just want to give you this encouragement. If you could find that pastor, you need to go join that guy's church. But I got to tell you, I'm not that guy. And I don't know anybody that is. Now, you might say, well, Chuck, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty doggone close. Here you go. <laughs> a biblical church worships in song together. Ephesians chapter 5, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We love the front end of that one. Don't drink. Don't get drunk. And then we forget the back end of that one. Make melody to the Lord with all your heart. Give thanks always for everything to God in the name of Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A biblical church is a place where Christians can use their spiritual gifts to bless others, not to tear others down, not to destroy other people, but to build them up. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Listen, if your word, if your song, if your ministry is about tearing somebody else down and not building somebody else up, here's what I know then you're not doing the work that he's called the church to be. We are here to use the gifts the Lord has given us 
to build one another up in the faith that we might walk out of here and be the church Monday through Saturday. It's too stinking easy to be the church at 11 o'clock on Sunday. Let's know what we're to be doing unless the church has the same marching orders as a country club. Because if we're a country club, let's just write out everybody doesn't look like us, talk like us, dress like us, agree like us. Jesus gave us a new commandment that we are to love one another. Now think about this. 1 John 3.11, the message you heard from the very beginning is this. We must love one another. John 13.34, now I give you a new commandment, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 1 Peter 4.8, about everything, love one another earnestly because love covers over many sins. Romans 13.8, the only obligation you have is to love one another. Whoever does this has obeyed the law. And in 1 John 3.18, our love should not just be words and talk. It must be true love which shows itself in action. I mean, John goes on to say that love ought to be a verb in our world. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, be always humble, gentle, and patient. Show your love by being tolerant with one another. Do your best to preserve the unity which the Spirit gives by means of the peace that binds you together. Now, you know what I found? That unity and agreement are not always the same thing. Haven't you? I, I have found that, that there are people I disagree with, but I am bound with them in Christ that I, I commit to unity in. But, you know, there are a lot of things in the church that we disagree about. I mean, I know there are. I, I must drive y'all back crazy sometimes. I mean, I, I'm, I'm confident I do. I promise you I'm not trying to, but I know I do. I mean, I'm married to Jenny. I drive her back crazy. I mean, you ought to live on the staff with these folks. I know I drive them crazy. I mean, poor old Matt Osmond's been with me from day one. I know I drive him crazy. That's because I'm not always humble and gentle and patient. I'm not always tolerant. I'm, I don't always preserve the unity because I like stuff my way. Am I the only one in the room like that? Thank you. I wish some more of y'all talked back to me. Nicely. But listen, what is it that's supposed to bind us? The scriptures are clear again. Do your best to preserve the unity which the Spirit gives by means of the peace that binds you together. The presence of the Spirit of God at work in your life founded and grounded and pounded into our DNA because we chose Jesus, but he chose us first. That's what unites us. We can disagree on how we ought to sing. We can disagree on whether we raise hands or not. We can, we can disagree on whether you want elders or deacons. We can disagree on how I'm supposed to wear my hair. But the thing we cannot disagree with is that in Jesus, the indwelling of the Spirit of God begins the work of cleaning us up and renewing us from the moment we say yes to him and we are to turn the Spirit of God loose in our lives to clean us up and do the work of sanctifying us and continue redeeming us and creating us to become more like Christ, that we might act like Him, walk like Him, talk like Him, lead like Him, love like Him, and agree like Him. But outside of that, stop 
fighting because I think the world is sick of it. All I got to do to see a fight is turn on television. All I got to do is watch a news channel. All I've got to do is read a tweet. And all I'd say to you is, surely the Lord Jesus didn't design that for his church. He designed us to be in love. You say, well, Chuck, I got it. Love one another. But what do we do? I, I wanna, I, I'm an action-oriented person. I want to do stuff, Chuck. Well, Jesus is pretty straightforward about the direction, too, both about what to do and even some greater clarification on the how. To ensure that we heard him, he gave us this thing called the great commandment that is, again, super clear on the how. Jesus is abundantly clear that we're to surrender our hearts to him if we're to accept his free gift of salvation and forgiveness. But we're to act out in the overflow of our heart, mind, and soul in love as he works within us. That's how we're to do this. Matthew 22, starting in verse 37, gives us this thing called the great commandment. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great first and greatest commandment. Now, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus is saying to his church, everything other than getting that right is in vain. You don't get that right, all of it's in vain. You say, but Chuck, you don't understand for 30 years, I've done good stuff. But if you haven't done it in the name of Jesus, you've just done stuff. I don't know about you. I don't have time in my life. I'm almost 60 years old. I don't want to do stuff. I want to do stuff that the Lord has called us to. I want to see God at work. I want the Lord to take over. I want him to be in charge. I want his church to rise up. I want this world to be changed because his church chose to love Jesus. That's what I want. I, I don't want to scream at people. I don't want to pick at people. I don't want to holler at people. I want to love people. You know why? Because he's saying to his church, if you do it any other way, it doesn't count. Everything his church is to be doing is to be grounded, founded, pounded into the DNA of our heart, soul, and mind with the simplicity of the following statement. Are you ready? Love God totally. Love other people unconditionally and love ourselves in humility. You say, well, now, Chuck, how are you doing on a scale of 1 to 10 if you lump those three in? Well, I'm going to answer it the way I'd rather since I have the microphone. Let's take them one at a time. You know what? I'm finding it pretty easy these days to love God totally. I'm growing, but I haven't figured out how to love others unconditionally yet. But I'm, I'm growing. And to love ourselves in humility, I got to love myself. It's the humility that's my problem. And you say, well, Chuck, I can see you from where you're at. Why would you not be humble? Well, I, I have this problem in my life. I'm dying from the disease of humanity. I, I'm dying of terminal certainty. I'm, di I'm dying of wanting to be a control freak. I'm, I'm, I'm dying of wanting God to do things my way. And all he wants me to do is say, well, Chuck, if you just love me and love other people the way you're supposed to love you, which is how I love you. But what about our actions, Chuck? I, I like the part about what we're supposed to be doing. Well, on Jesus' way off this planet, on the way to sit 
by the right hand of God the Father, he gave us some marching orders. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16, he said, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, I have all the authority. I'm taking all the authority. I'm giving you that authority. And we are to be busy with that authority, loving people into the kingdom of God. We are to be about baptizing them after they have received Jesus as their Savior. And we are to grow them up in the wisdom, knowledge, and teaching of God's holy word. Now you say, Chuck, are you clear about that order? I am so crystal clear because Jesus said, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If what the church does, you and me and the body of Christ, which he is the head, is about anything other than loving people into his kingdom, baptizing them as a first step of obedience, and instructing them in all the ways of God, we're missing our target. If Sugar Hill Church is to be who she is supposed to be, people will, according to John 13, 35, act in love. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus is saying, you know how people out there are going to know you're my church? When you treat each other with love. But what the modern church does is we eat our own young we find somebody who says it some other way than we do, and we just attack them. We see some young girl like Lauren Daigle singing and put on the spot for an interview in L.A. on a secular radio station and expect her to be a theologian, and we just eat her lunch. She's just trying to sing about Jesus. We take some hotshot preacher who preaches to 25 or 30,000 in Houston every week and has a bit of a lilt in his accent, and we find everything wrong with him, and we just massacre him on Facebook. And then you wonder, why do people not fall in love with the church? Because they don't want their young to be eaten either. You say, well, Chuck, I would never do that. I'm Facebook friends with most of y'all. <laughs> and I've been the recipient of some of y'all of which I didn't always handle well. But if Sugar Hill Church is acting in love, the footprint that we're going to leave along the trail of this life, again, according to the Scriptures, is found in Galatians 5. For the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, of which none of those I've mastered. But I have learned this. A few years ago when I... Uh, walk the, the Georgia section of the Appalachian Trail, I discovered that there are these people out there called trail angels. Anybody familiar with trail angels? Bless the Lord for these people, man. I'm not one of them, but I'm just so grateful. They're usually older folks that have been on the trail a lot, and they, they recognize how hard it is for, for people like me to try to go do that when I haven't prepared any to do it. And 
We were out on in October a few years ago, and it was dry as dry could be. We couldn't find any water that we could that we could filter and drink. And you know, when you carry water onto the trail, every gallon weighs eight pounds, and you need to go through about three and a half, four gallons a day when you're walking the trail. When you we got 55 pounds on your back, and you're going up and down mountains all day long, and I was just give out. I mean, I was worn out. I I was give up. I was I was done. I sat down, and I just thought, you know what, Lord, if you just come right now, it'd be awesome. <laughs> just take me home, because if I have to walk that mountain, one more, I'm going to die right here. And we looked over at, that, at where the trail signs, you know, they, they paint this stripe on a tree, and that's how you know you're on the trail. And I looked right below it, and there were four one-gallon milk jugs filled with crystal clear water where trail angels had left it. They had gotten off the trail, and they left what they had. And, man, I devoured it. And, you know, you'd be thinking to yourself, I bet you left some for those people that came behind you, didn't you? No. <laughs> I got it all. I poured some on my head, poured some down my shirt, poured some in my britches. I poured some in my little jugs. I carried everything in. I even strapped one gallon to my backpack. I was so gracious like that. You know how grateful I was for those trail angels? But, you know, I also saw other folks on the trail, and they left the scraps of their food packs, and I saw where they, they left some of their nasty clothes, and I saw where folks had left nasty socks, and I'd seen that we all leave a trail. We all leave a trail somewhere. We leave a trail at our school. We leave a trail at our office. We leave a trail at church. We leave a trail from here to where you go. I guess the question I'd ask you is, what's in your trail? Jesus has said that when we love him fully, we will leave love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Friend, the reason we're committed to partnering with these schools is to share in love. The reason that we're committed to Path Project and Backpacks is to share in love. The reason we're committed to Care for AIDS, Haiti, Cuba, Los Angeles, Sugar Hill, Espanol, Seattle, and Spain, where your mission dollars go to work, is because we want to share in love. The reason we don't chase cultural hot buttons and it's because Satan most often uses those things to get us off of our assignment. We are here to love people in every way, every day into God's kingdom. And you know what I've learned? You can't scream people into God's kingdom. You can't hate people into God's kingdom. You can't petition people into God's kingdom. There's only one way his plan works as you lead people into God's kingdom, and that is to love people into the kingdom of God because you know what is truly, abundantly, the sole purpose of the kingdom? To love like Christ loves you. We're to love in every way, every day, people into following Jesus into and beyond believer's baptism. And we are to love in every way, every day, folks into a never-ending, all-encompassing, Holy Spirit-directing, maturing of heart, mind, soul, and action as they grow to become more like Jesus. Friend, the church, you and me, we are about the simple process of loving God personally with all our heart, our mind, and our soul me and you, the church, loving other folks without condition as we are to love ourselves. And we are to love ourselves as God sees and loves us. We are his kids, and he is well-pleased when we grow to become more like him. All my life, I've heard that healthy things grow. 
but not everything that grows is healthy. I mean, you and I can eat cake every day, and we'll grow. <laughs> but it's not going to be very healthy. Bigger isn't always better, and more isn't always best. And that's my confession that I'm, I'm blessed that we have a growing church. But honestly, I, I don't want to give my life to a growing church. I, I, I want to give my life to a church that's growing to become more like Christ. The goal is to love, lead, and live as Jesus would right here, right now. The church is to care for widows and orphans and hungry people and homeless people, and we're to help kids learn and serve our city and our schools and our businesses and our homes. But we're called to do that in love, or it counts for zippity doodah. My friends, it's not rocket science. It's love God, love others, and seek peace from Jesus the Christ and Him alone. This is the church. And when we do anything other, we stop being his church. So I invite you today. Let's go be his church. But the world doesn't need any more of Chuck's church. As wonderful as you are, the church doesn't need more of your church. And the kingdom of God is bigger than what we think and what we know. There are churches out there right now that have five or six people struggling around the world, and there is every much a bit of a church as we are sitting here with folks around the world watching us online and a thousand or two people here. I mean, y'all listen. Jesus is not impressed that we do cool stuff. He has not called us to be hipsters. He hasn't called us to be happening. Hadn't called us to be relevant, whatever that is. Hadn't called us to be sure that the culture can really understand where we're at. Because oftentimes, we surrender to the culture instead of to Christ. But friend, listen. We are called to do all that in love. And we don't have an option. Maybe today, like me, you've got a confession that I don't only live in that love. But I want to. Friend, listen, I, I'm so grateful that you allow me to be the pastor of this church. Thank you. But y'all, listen, I, I don't want to pastor a big church. I don't want to pastor a little church. I don't want to pastor a medium-sized church. I want to be a part of a church that God gets a hold of and does something radical with it. That people's lives are turned upside down in the love of Christ. That parents go parent in the name of Jesus. That kids come home. That addicts give up. That we surrender. We stop cheating on our spouse and come home to Christ. That we don't need porn to be fulfilled. That we don't need anything but the presence of God himself. That we might be that people. And you say, well, but Chuck, you got to change then. Then I'll do it with you. Come on. Let's pray. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within us. Bless your holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, 
and all that should be in us. Bless your holy name. God, would you reach down into the heart and soul and mind of every person within earshot right now and beyond. Grab our heart and mold it to become more like you. God, would you kick Satan out of this place and out of our life? And would you cause us to surrender every part of us to you? Every hang-up, every orthodoxy, every false doctrine, every unbelieving heart, would we surrender to you? God, I pray there would be people who would be willing to get on their knees and say, I'm coming home to you. God, I want to return to you. God, I need you. Jesus, I want you. And I pray we'd be a people not too proud to get on our knees. I pray we'd bend our knee and we'd lift our hands and we would look to heaven from where comes our help. And that you would answer us in spirit and in truth. And may we worship you because you are the head of the church. You are the head of this body. You are worthy. You are the only thing good we offer this world. So Jesus, now, as we offer up this praise, cause us to get on our knees. Cause us to come to you. Cause us to get to this altar. Cause us to follow you. And cause us to be in love. First with you and then with others as you love us. In the name of Jesus, our King, our Lord, and our Savior. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's worship him. You want to get on your knees? Come on to this altar. You want to get on your knees where you're at? Go ahead. You want to get out in the, in, in, in the aisle? Jump up and down, knock yourself out. Whatever you feel like God wants you, you just be obedient. Just say, I love you. Love does some crazy stuff, man. Let it do some crazy stuff in your life. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on. Come on, church. Come on, church.
sing it, church. go before you as you leave this place. Let him straighten your path. Let him take everything crooked and straighten it out. That's what he does. Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment. He is always good, friend, and here's the best news. You are always loved. And in days when this life is beating you up, Let him bend over so you can hop on his back and wrap your arms around his strong shoulders. And let him carry you right through the middle of whatever junk you're in, only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears, kiss you on the forehead and wrap his arms around you so he could look you, his child, into your eyes and you can hear your Savior say, my child, I love you. God bless you, friend. Go in church, go in peace.